So, yeah, this morning I'm preaching on Isaiah 43. And I remember looking back when kind of the pandemic and the lockdown was, was starting, um, it seemed like everything shut down on, on a Thursday. And I remember going into um, church that, that Sunday, and it was after that Sunday, we, we shut down shortly after and went online as well. But I had a couple kids who came to church that morning with me, and their world was kind of turned upside down as they had dance recitals and, and events to go to, and we're in a church basement trying to make sense of it all. And I remember just writing the Isaiah 43 verses on, on a poster board and trying to give them something solid that they didn't need to fear because, because God was with them. And looking, looking at that experience, I realized that this has been important verses for me over the last couple of years since then, too. It's something that I have to keep coming back to to, to ground myself. Let me um, let me kind of start by by reading these verses one more time, just so it's part of our kind of imagination. Because um, we heard it once, but let's let's hear it again. Because you know it's it's more important than the words I share is is these words. And so just as I read it, um, even before I I break down what what I think it's saying, God may speak to you, even as I read it again. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, now we got it. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. Because you are precious to me, you are honored, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. The words, do not be afraid, or do not fear, is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of the reasons is because it's, it's actually really important. Fear has a way of making us distrust God, of of severing our relationship with God. And so it gets in the way of what God has for us. Now, it can look a lot of different ways. I think fear can be anything from like this sense that like washes over you like a wave. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it can be startling. Maybe when you hear that noise, part of you is like, what's going on? So it can be a very, like, it can be this thing that takes over your body that you feel, like, in the depths of your being. Or it can be a little bit like a faint buzz in the background. Kind of like when you go to a friend's house and you're like, 
what's that noise? And they're like, what noise? Oh, that's our, that's our fridge. It, it buzzes, you know? And it can just kind of be something that is, that is there in the background. But either way, it affects the way that we perceive our environment and the world around us. And it can take our eyes off of God. Do not fear is the most commanded thing in all of, all of Scripture. And in fact, in the passage I just read, and we've heard twice now, it is actually said twice. Do not be afraid. So what do we do? If I am to tell myself, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, is, is that going to work? No, that, that doesn't work. You know, if, the more I tell myself, do not be afraid, it's almost like the more my anxiety increases and the more I end up fearing. There has to be a different path forward, a different way through. And fortunate for us, Scripture always seems to say, when it says do not fear, it gives us a reason and a way through the fear. The first thing it says is, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. So if we want to stop being afraid, we should come to understand what it means that God has ransomed us. So what does ransom mean? I, I googled it. What is ransom? And this is what Google came up with. Google says a ransom is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. A sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. And I think this definition will work for us. We see this in our text where God says, I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. So it was the payment. It was Egypt. He says, I gave Ethiopia and Siva in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. And so in this passage, God is, is offering this comfort where he's saying, look, I've, I've rearranged world events in order to, to ransom you. I, I, I paid a price for you. And so in the immediate context here, it is talking about Israel, which is God's chosen people. But we can also apply this ransom language to, to our lives on this side of the cross. I think one place where ransom language shows up the most potent is through Peter, who says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Now, there's a couple things to catch here. First of all, the price paid is significant. I like the way it talks about silver and gold because to us, silver and gold mean something. Like it seems like it's worth something. If someone was to walk up to me and say, here's a bag of gold, do you want it? I'll say, sure, I'll take the bag of gold because then I can go and, and buy something. It's worth something. But this passage shows us that that pales in comparison to the worth of the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us and which doesn't ever lose value. Like, I think gold tends to go up in value, but you, you, you never know. But we can be sure that the price paid, which is Jesus' blood, never loses its value. Paul says, you have been bought with a high price in 1 Corinthians 6.20.
I've heard it explained this way before. You can tell the worth of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. As I thought about this, I was reminded um, a story that happened to my dad, and my dad's here this morning, so you can ask him about it after if you want. But my dad um, needed to sell this car. And so I don't know what price he listed it for, but someone came to look at the car, and he said, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. And my dad kind of laughed him off. It's like, well, of course I'm not going to sell the car for $50 because the, the car's worth more than $50. Turns out the car wasn't worth more than $50 because um, shortly after that, he sold it to pick apart for $16. He's like, I should have siphoned the gas first, you know, for $16. So this car wasn't worth a whole lot. You know, you could say maybe it was worth $50 if someone was willing to pay that, but he ended up getting even less for that. You can tell the worth of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. What does it mean then that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you? Or in verse 20, it says, God chose him as your ransom. So you can go back to all those classic verses. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What does it mean that the father willingly gave his son, that Jesus willingly shed his blood? It means that in God's eyes, you are worth something. What does this have to do with fear? You don't pay a price like that, like the, the blood of Jesus. You don't, you don't pay that type of cost and then the next moment be like, oh, I don't, I don't think they're worth much. You don't, you don't mistreat something that you've paid such an extravagant price for. And the same is true in our relationship with God, that he loves you and you're worth something. And he's not passive, he's active. The cross shows that he actively pursued this relationship with you. Now that's someone you can trust. The next thing I want you to catch about this ransom language is because this price was paid for our freedom, it changes our reality. The Israelites were once slaves in Egypt, but God ransomed them and brought them to the promised land. In a similar way, we no longer live in the kingdom of darkness, but in the kingdom of Jesus. Just like the Israelites' reality changed when they were free, our reality changes because we have been ransomed. We can read more ransom language in Colossians 1. It says, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom, purchases ransom language once again, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And one thing I love about this passage is that it's in, it's in past tense. He has rescued us. He has purchased our freedom. So what does that mean that it's past tense? It means that we are already free. That this is already our reality. So we don't have to be a slave to the kingdom of darkness anymore. We don't have to be a slave to, to sin anymore. As I think about this, I think a little bit of like, what would it be like maybe if you're in maybe World War II and you're a prisoner of war and the allies come and, and they say, it's time to go home and you keep working. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's time to go home. I'm going to keep doing what I always did. No, the you've been freed at that point. You can, you can go home. And I think for us, this is oftentimes 
hard to to believe because we see the darkness all around us and we're like is this is this actually true do i actually already belong to the kingdom of his dear son yes you do i think in in many ways this is the challenge that 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 jesus came with his primary message was repent for the kingdom of God has come near, or the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what he said over and over again. You know, and part of the fact that King Jesus came is um, a repentance of sin to get in alignment with God. And and it goes it goes beyond that too, when repentance also means to change the way you think about things. And so Jesus is saying, change the way you think about it because you might not expect God to be active, but God's kingdom is here, that he is present, he is living, he is active. And you see that as Jesus lives about, goes about his, his life. You know, in the words of Isaiah, and these are words that he says is about him. He stands in front of people and he reads these words from Isaiah that talk about um, good news is proclaimed to the poor, captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's what it looks like when we live in the kingdom of his dear son. And so there is a sense where I think this leads to optimism. I think that if this is our, our present reality, that we can have hope. In fact, it's because we live now in the kingdom of his dear son, that when Jesus comes, you know, his, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with the Beatitudes. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of his dear son. It looks like this. God blesses the poor who realize their need for him because the kingdom of God is there. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's other blessings too. Those, those are a few. This is the life that we can live and expect because we live in the kingdom of God and because God is active in our lives. So I think about this sometimes. I'm reminded that I've, I think I've often offered people cheap hope. What do I mean by that? Someone comes to me and they're struggling with something. And I say, you know, keep your chin up. Things will get better. But I'm not really thinking about why. And I'm not really thinking about their circumstances. In fact, things might get worse for this person before they end up getting better. And I think sometimes what I, what I say in that moment is more based on my being, dis, like being uncomfortable with their suffering than it is actually about them. And so I, I throw it up and I offer something. But we have a real hope as Christians that is also grounded in reality. It makes a difference that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And so if you're going through a hard time, I, I don't know what's next for you, but I know from like these verses I've just read, I know from the story of Jesus, I know from the cross that God is active and that, and that he's in it and that he's not going to leave you alone in it. And so there is reason for hope. There's actual tangible reason to be optimistic. The other verse is quick. Romans 8, um, 28 says, 
He works all things together for the good of those who love him. You know, I know that he has a habit of healing, redeeming, and bringing justice. Psalm 24, 18 says, I know that he is close, or sorry, says, he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is our God. This is who he is. The last thing I want to talk about about being ransomed is that because we are ransomed, it means we belong, we belong to God. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Love that language. I have called you by name. You are mine. I can't read this now without thinking about what it means to be a father. As you've already heard, I have a daughter at home. I got, we got to name her. We named her Bethany. She'll be 10 months old soon. And I haven't always been someone where there's like, there's like baby people, and every time they see a baby, they're like, I need to hold that baby. And I'm not necessarily one of those people. I mean, that's changing a little bit. But I haven't been one of those people like, I need to hold that baby. But there's something different when it's your daughter. I remember, um, you know, the first time, the first time that I saw her, it hit a place in my spirit that few things do. I just, I felt this tug. And I knew in that moment that I was going to love Bethany and that I did love her already, but I was going to love her for the rest of my life and that nothing she did could change that. Bethany was different because she is mine. And I think it's this type of language that, that we can think about as we hear this verse, I have called you by name, you are mine. Jesus always talks about God as, as a loving father. He has that same heart towards you. You are his. There's something powerful about a name, isn't there? I remember the most, I think the most lonely moment of my life was in grade 10 for, for orientation. And so what had happened is that um, we moved from Brooks, Alberta. So I went to a school, like junior high, there was a couple hundred people. We moved to Calgary. And so I did grade 10 at Central Memorial High School. And so all of a sudden, my high school was over a 1,000 people. And I wasn't lonely because there, wasn't, there weren't people around. It was quite the opposite. I was lonely because I remember sitting on a bench. And I was lonely because there were so many people around, but nobody knew my name. You know, and I saw them all talk to each other, but nobody, nobody knew me. Nobody knew my name. But God sees you. And God knows your name. In Isaiah 49, 16, God says, See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. And, you know, I think that, once again, this can refer to, to Israel, but I, I think we can also personalize it a little bit more. When I, when I hear that verse, I've written your name on the palm of my hands. I can't help but think of the cross, you know, when Jesus' hands are spread out and he had nails in his hands. And God says, I've written your name on the palm of my hands. There's something deeply personal about salvation and deeply personal about the cross and that he knows you. And I think it, it may sound cliche, but I think it's true that if you're the only person, you know, Jesus would have died for you because he knows you. He knows your name and he loves you that much. When I think about our names, 
Um, another verse that has challenged me is in John 10, verse 3. It says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I was challenged with this. Um, I heard someone speak on it probably about nine years ago. And he encouraged us. We were taught that God still speaks to us today. That, that this is personalized language, that he knows your name. You know, he calls you, he leads you. And so I started doing something a bit different. I started slowing down a little bit more. I started listening to God. I even did, you know, what might seem crazy to some people. I'd even ask God questions from time to time and just sit and see if God placed anything on my heart. And what happened was that God spoke identity to me. It was the still small voice that scripture talks about. I began to accept the fact that the Holy Spirit, the God's presence himself, lives inside of me. And so that he could speak, he could speak to me from that place. I think before, sometimes I'd expect that if God spoke, it was probably through thunder and, and lightning and something big and dramatic. But I learned over time that it's a gentle, small voice. It's close enough that it could be my own voice. And yet it was distinct. It was different. It was not my own. And so he'd speak to me that he loved me. He'd speak to me that he was proud of me. Um, which was incredible. But then I started listening more for discernment, and he would, he would help me out. He would, he would guide me. He would convict me in ways that were both gentle and yet still serious. And then I'd start listening to God with, with other people, and, and, and we'd pray to God together. And it was cool to watch the ways that, that God showed up. Um, one example, you know, the church... Um, that I pastored at had this group of uh, widows in the church. Um, so this, yeah, this group of widows, and there was a lot of support. Um, like they supported each other well. There, there was a community there, and yet, as we, as a church, explored more about like listening to God, and what a relationship with God could actually be and looked like, it was cool to watch these women who would all attest to the fact that like, God speaks to me. And, and this thing about, you know, God being present isn't just something we say, but they learned it as something that was, that was tangible, that God was present to them in their situation. And it was so beautiful watching that realization and, and watching them lean into to God and to his love. Um, let's go to the next verse. Verse 2 says, When you go... Through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. These are, these are comforting verses. And yet, what's interesting is that there's still difficult things. The promise isn't that we get to avoid the difficult, um, the rivers of difficulty. We don't get to avoid the deep waters. We don't get to avoid the fire of oppression. And sometimes I wish that maybe the text said, you know, you can you can go above the waters, you know, 
or you can go under, or you can go around, or that it had a different word, and yet the word that keeps appearing, it shows up three times, is the word through. You know, when you go through deep waters, when you go through rivers of difficulties, when you go through the fire of oppression, there's not an around, there's not an over, there's not an under, there's only a through. A through. You know, we... we we shouldn't expect that we'll be immune from, from difficult things. Jesus himself at one point told his followers, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet sometimes when trouble comes, we're still quick to bargain with God and say, you know, well, where are you, God? What, what did I do? Why is this happening to me? And, and I think at times we can even, we can play games with God. I think of... Um, I had uh, a youth kid in, in my youth group when I was a youth pastor in Calgary. And, and it seemed like his, his faith was growing. He was, he was praying more. He was reading his Bible more. You know, it was, it was great to see. And then I was talking to him and we were peeling back the layers a little bit. And, and I realized that he was doing all the right things to try to earn the favor of God because he liked a girl and he thought that if he could, he could earn God's favor, that maybe this girl would like him and things would work, work out, you know? And so for us, it might seem a little bit silly, but I think that we can sometimes play similar games. But the truth is that you could be, you know, the, you could be doing the right things. You, you can be a good Christian and still, you know, that the cancer comes or the sickness or the family crisis or the job loss, you know, those, those things still come. And it's not because you did something wrong. It's just because that's how life works. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This world, you have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in this passage, um, even though difficulty is still promised, there's, there's also a tremendous amount of hope in these verses. There are promises here to hit, hold on to. The first promise is this. It's the promise of divine presence. You read in verse 2, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. The promise of God it's a promise that he says over and over again in the scriptures. We consistently need the reminder. He says this in verse 2. We read down a couple of verses in verse 5. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. So there it is again. And we've already talked a little bit about do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. And everything that means, the price that was paid, you know, that you belong to God. And, and because of those reasons, you don't have to fear. And here's a second reason not to fear. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I'll give you my divine presence. At Camp um, Camp Chestermere, where I work in summer 2023, our theme passage was Psalm 23. And so this verse is one that I think about. It says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So a few things are interesting here, and, and you probably caught it. There's the word through again. You know, it's not around, 
the valley of the shadow of death or over or under, it's through. But with it comes this promise. I don't have to fear why, because you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. And I like, I like this language, you are close beside me, because it's, it's shepherd language, but it's also the, the language of, of close friendship. It's not just that like God's kind of doing something. It's a picture of like him walking beside us, that he's, that he's that close to us. And that makes all the difference to David. What's interesting in Psalm 23, by the way, is that when he puts all these pieces together, the goodness of the good shepherd, the closeness of the good shepherd, it leads him to the place where he says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's the result. That's the result of God being good and him being close by. It gives us reason to be optimistic. I think one of my favorite, because this is all over scripture, one of my favorite promises that God is with us comes from Matthew 28. So this is a great commission. Jesus gives um, his, his disciples, his followers, their, their marching orders. Go, go and do this. Make you know, disciples, teach them everything that I've commanded you. Baptize them. You know, he, he tells them what to do, but they're not to do that in their own strength. He says, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love, I love that. I love that last part. Not only am I with you always, but he says, even to the end of the age. I'm pretty sure that includes me. I'm pretty sure that includes now, that, that God is with me now. And so I think as we go through difficult things, one of the most helpful things we can do is remember that, that God is with us, that we are not alone. Um, it's been one of the most helpful spiritual practices for me. I'd call it the practice of the presence of God. And for me personally, I think the ways that I've prayed have changed a little bit. It used to be a little bit more of like, come God, which is still a good prayer because it shows that your heart is, is open, that, that he is welcome, you know, and I, I think that is an okay thing to pray, and I pray that. But it's shifted a little bit because I've grown in my confidence that God is already here, that I don't have to say all the right things or do the right things to convince God to be a part of this, but his heart is already a part of it, and his presence is already here. And so it's shifted a little bit more to... Uh, God, help me to see what you are doing. God, I want to partner with you in the things that you're doing. God, I might, I might get discouraged at times, so remember, help me remember that you're, that you're close by. It's not me trying to earn it. It's the fact that, that Christianity is a religion where it's not like you do all these things to get God to come, but God comes first, and then he invites you into a relationship. So I want to encourage you to, to practice the presence of God. Think about him often. This is, um, let me read to you how Brother Lawrence words it, and he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He says this, He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in him as often as you can. 
Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. There's a lot I love about this quote. I love the idea of God just being pleased when we're thinking about him. It's not a God who's, who's hard to please. I love the idea that we don't have to cry out very loudly. And I especially love the, the quote at the end, he is nearer to us than we think. We just need courage at times to believe that. So the first promise we have um, through difficult times is the promise of the divine presence that God is with us. The second promise is the promise of protection. We read, when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know, once again, I, you know, if it was up to me, I might, as beautiful as these words are, I might word them slightly different. Because it's interesting when you, when you look at it, the word when implies there's difficulty ahead, you know. When you encounter the rivers of difficulty. When implies that there's going to be a time when you go through the fires of oppression. It does, we're not immune to it. In fact, you might even get you might even get burnt. So what's the promise here? The promise is that we are told that the flames will not consume us. They're not going to be the end of us. And I think that's what we think in a difficult situation sometimes. We're like, this is going to be the end of me. Like, there's, I, I, I can't hope. This is, this is it. And we're promised that it's, it's not. The flames will not consume us, I think means there's, there's life on the other side. There's, there's, there's difficult times, even though they're hard, do not have to destroy us. I think for most of us here, this is a bit of an assumption, but I think for most of us, we could probably look back at a difficult time now and see that, that God was with us and that we weren't actually consumed by the fire. And as hard as it was, that God helped us to get through it. And he will do it again. This has um, personally been a fairly difficult season for me and my family. And so basically, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. <laughs> but I'm hoping that you can take something from it too. I admit that I think a few times in the season, I've lost my nerve. I think I've reached the end of myself a few times. But once I've, again, I've discovered that even when I'm at my end, that God is there to meet me, that he's still there, and that there's still another side, that there's still a way forward. The other day, um, I was hanging out at my parents' house, and my dad was giving me a ride home. And it was one of those times when he just, he said the right words to me, and I'll probably misquote him. But And he's here, so he, he can call me out in it. But he, he talked about Ephesians 6, which is, um, which is our spiritual armor passage. And 
and he says, you know, maybe it hasn't always made sense to me all of it. But he's like, I think I got part of it. Because um, it talks about the devil and he has fiery arrows that come at us. And he's like, I think those fiery arrows can be things like bitterness and anger and discouragement. You know, if I'm honest, all things that I've had to deal with in the last season. But he's like, we're told to take the shield of faith. That we do, we're not, we're not just a victim of like, oh, another arrow. But God gives us something. He gives us the shield of faith. But if we trust in him, it's, it's a defense against the flaming arrows of, of the devil. And it was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. It helped me see that there was a way forward, that I could still trust God and put my faith in him. I think about this now when I read the words, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. And I, if you're going through a tough season right now, I, I, can't, I can't give you all the why answers. We look for so many why answers, you know, and not only can I not give them, we probably don't have the time this morning to really unpack sovereignty, suffering and the sovereignty of God and, and how it all relates. But there is something about the cross. <laughs> there is something about the fact that Jesus entered into the world and Jesus suffered. And in Isaiah, it says he was beaten so that we could be made whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. That he's not immune to it. And one day, too, we look forward to the day where he's going to put an end to, to suffering. And there won't be sickness or pain or suffering anymore. He's going to dry all our, our tears. I'm looking forward to that. Our text this morning... Um, our passage ends with, with this verse. It says, Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. Because you are precious to me, you were honored, and I love you. And I'm not necessarily going to do a lot to, to break that down, but I just want you to consider that maybe that's God's words to you today. And maybe, maybe you'll forget lots of the stuff I've said this morning. That's okay. I've preached a few times and I've come to realize that most people don't remember what you said the next week. But if you remember something, maybe it's this. When God looks at you, he says, you are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. So if you can hear him, I hope you can hear his heart in that. I hope you can have the courage to receive that for yourself. You are precious to God. You are honored and he loves you. And whatever happens, that remains true. So where does all this leave us? I've covered a lot of ground. I think this morning I've gone through a lot of different scriptures. And so let me try to say it just kind of a bit more concise. We don't have to be afraid because we've been ransomed by God. It is because of his great love for us that he bought us at a high price. We are his, and he treats us with tenderness and care. He transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, where we can be hopeful and optimistic. He is with us. Even through difficult things, 
or sort of even though difficult things will come at us, we can rest in the fact that we don't have to go through them alone. The divine presence protects and guides us. We are at our best when we remember he is near to us and we act accordingly. Jesus is still in control. He's not nervous. He's king. He's got us. And we're going to be okay. Let me close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for um, all these beautiful people here this morning who you created and, and you love so much. We thank you for the plans you have for each one of us. We thank you that you're not a God we have to persuade to come, but that you're, that you're, you're glad to be here. You're glad to be with us. And so we, we thank you for that. God, I pray that you personally would come and, and bring comfort to those who need it this morning. That if there is maybe aspects that need to be rewritten in the way they think about something or imagine something, that by your Holy Spirit, you would help them do that. I pray that your presence wouldn't just be something that they know to be true because the Bible says it's true but something that they know to be true because they know it. <laughs> because we've had those moments with you. Help us acknowledge that you're, that you're with us. Give us eyes to see, God, what you're doing. And just keep providing us a way through and a way forward. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.